Rawnot researched real life stories. Hi guys, welcome to Inspirational Interviews, a super cool life stories platform where we showcase real life stories of people from all over the world. Brave hearts, famous or not, going out there doing their thing. These interviews are not staged. The conversations can go anywhere. What's your life story? Be inspired by these stories to create your beautiful life. With me, your host, Jen Rod. Let's just go in there because, you know, because we had to, well, because we tried to start a conversation twice now, but, you know, the internet connection was too bad. Um, I've already, I've had the snippets of of what's happened, but now that we're just starting this afresh, everyone listening now and watching sure. haven't. So let's just go in and explain what happened to you and why I received your details of the of, of you being known as a walking quadriplegic um, and how and why and how you inspire Oliver Sinclair, who who's also losing, you know, or has lost a lot of functionality in his body through his multiple sclerosis. So let's just start from that place of where I had no idea about you and um, how it is you came to be known, not known, but how you became, how you had the accident. Let's talk about the accident. <laughs> I, um, I broke my neck in 2003, uh, 21st of November, 2003, mm. um, uh, which was a Sunday. We just, come, I've always been a motorsport person. So we'd been racing in the morning um, with the, the Porsche club. And I picked up uh, my car uh, on the way home from a friend's house and went around the corner at 60 k's an hour and unfortunately hit a wet patch in the road. Um, I just remember coming around the corner and the back of the car sort of flicked out a bit and I sort of, it was, seemed very sort of casual and very slow and I thought, oh, okay, um, no problem, uh, you know, it'll sort itself out. The, the road in front of me was pretty straight. I had about 100 to 200 meters of straight road in front of me. And, and although the sort of car was sliding a little bit at the back, I expected it to straighten itself out and just stop. And that would sort of be the end of it. Mm. Unfortunately, it started veering to the left and looked like it was going to go up a bank. Um, and if it had gone up the bank, I felt it would have rolled. So I flicked the car into a into a spin in order that it would sort of take some of the energy out of it and, and sort of spin down the straight road and come to a grinding halt. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. It, it, it spun down the, the road uh, probably 15, 20 times. The steering wheel snapped out of my hand, so I couldn't hold on to it. And I sat there like a passenger on a roller coaster and um, still very calm. And, and it, it all seemed to be very slow like most mm. things do when you have an accident it seemed all to be in slow motion but um I, I still thought it was just gonna stop at the end of the road and I'd get out and that would be it unfortunately the the back wheel slid down a probably about a three or four foot bank on the opposite side on the right hand side of the road into the sugarcane and as it slid down the the bank the wheels then the rear wheels then dug in and the uh nose of the car then flicked over backwards so mm. I went sort of nose over tail as it were um, so I did one backflip and then it rolled back onto its onto its wheels so one backflip one side flip um, the moment I saw the sky through the windscreen 
I knew that I was in trouble. Um, I, I knew that it, it was I was rolling or flipping and it, it wasn't going to be a good thing. And unfortunately, I didn't have my seatbelt on. In stupidity, I'd, I'd literally, my friend's house was probably a kilometer and a half down the road. I'd reversed down his driveway without my seatbelt on and I'd sort of got in the road and put mm. some music on and just forgotten to pull the seatbelt over. Um, that mm. left me left me loose and flying in the car as it were so while the car was doing its flipping and rolling i went upward and my head connected with the the front windscreen pillar which then sent shockwaves mm. straight through my neck um instantly uh, shattering my the bones in my neck and um the car landed at a sort of on its wheels but at a sort of angle leaning towards the passenger seats as it were so mm. it was sort mm. of probably at a you know, it, it tilted, and, and that caused me to. My uh, legs were still in the driver's seat, and my my bum was still sitting in the driver's chair. But my body was flung into the 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 rest of my body was pushed mm. into the passenger seat, as it were. So mm. I, I landed lying across the passenger seat with my face pushed up against the passenger door panel, um, and instantly couldn't feel my legs, couldn't move. Um, was an excruciating pain because my my right arm, which was sort of hanging towards the the driver's side, literally felt like it was broken in a hundred places. Um, the the pain yeah. going through my arm was incredible, and that was obviously the nerve pain because the nerves were trapped in my neck, mm. and there was a lot of blood because I put a dent in my thick skull uh, on the the roof of the car, so that you know when you have a head wound, there's always a lot mm. of blood. Yeah, so there was yeah. a lot of blood from from the head, and yeah, um, I, I sort of landed, and and then that was that was a life changed. Um, you yeah. know, straight away uh, lying there, quite quite strangely. Um, the first thing I thought of was we we were building a race car at the time, and it, it, it still doesn't make sense why I first thought of this. But the first thing I thought of was, am I now going to have to change the the controls to drive my race car? And that was literally the first thought I had when I landed. Uh, we'd we'd raced three weeks before from Cape Town to Sun City in an event called the Fireball, and one of the guys there was paralyzed and driving a car. And um, I, the first thought when I landed was, am I now going to have to change the car that we've been building for the last few years to allow me to drive it. Um, mm. So very weirdly, um, I, I was calm for, I'd say, probably the first 10 minutes um, in the car, sort of just sitting there thinking, okay, what's happened? Trying to take it all in, trying to work out how I was going sure. to get out of the car. Um and also, I couldn't really see because the way the car was on the side, the windscreen was broken, the back window was broken, um, the car was at a bit of an angle, so and down a bank. So I was still sort of looking straight. I was mm. looking where I could see. I was sort of looking up the dashboard, as it were. So I couldn't really see where I'd landed, how far down I'd landed in the sugarcane. Was I so far down that no one was going to find me? Um, you know, off the road, was I going to be stuck there? And then the, the I, I don't know whether you want to call it panic or frustration, but then the, the frustration sort of set in. Mm. And um, I wiggled around and tried to move and eventually flung my, my right arm sort of 
up somehow and it landed on my leg. And when it landed on my leg, I felt it. And I thought, okay, that's weird. Um, I, I, I can feel my legs. This can't be that bad. Um, mm. Obviously, I've just, you know, done some sort of damage. I didn't think broken neck or anything like that. I just thought, well, obviously, I've done some sort of damage. I've still got sensation in my legs. I can still feel my legs. So although I can't move them, I must just be trapped in a funny position. Mm. And um, yeah, that was, it, it felt like about 15 minutes, but probably was closer to five um, and then a security guard ha- uh, from one of the complexes um, had seen me go off the road and he stopped a car and uh, a gentleman came down. I still don't know who he was, but a gentleman came down and then sort of said, OK, he would call somebody um, as an ambulance or whatever the case mm. is. Mm. Um and uh, I, I got him to redial my phone so the friend whose house I just left could then come to the scene of the accident. So yeah, that was that was how the so, accident happened. So tell me, what um, what car were you driving then? Uh, it was a BMW M3. Um, okay. at the time, which is, is a yeah. fairly fast car and all people sort of, it's, it's got a bit of a bad reputation and, and people sort of, the moment you mention M3, they think, oh, mm. high speed and whatever the case was. Mm. And it literally wasn't. It was literally at 60 k's an hour. It was a total freak accident. Under most circumstances, I'd say 99.9% of the time, even if the car had veered off the road, it wouldn't have rolled. It would have just slid into the sugarcane. It just happened the way it went off the road and, and the angle that it went down the bank mm. caused it to go sort of over backwards. And, and, and that yeah. was the, the issue. Um, you know, I, I've been in accidents at way, way higher speed where in my youth where I've, I've walked out of cars with, with minor scratches, um, yeah. you know. And, and no permanent damage. Um, it's just the way, it, as I always say to people, the, the, the takeoff was beautiful. The in-flights was fantastic. The landing, not so good. Um, yeah. So, and you weren't wearing is, a seatbelt. It is what it is. is. Actually, yeah. And I wasn't wearing a seatbelt, which, yeah, I, I, I think in, in all honesty, you know, people always go on about seatbelt, seatbelt, seatbelt. But mm. I do feel that if I was wearing a seatbelt and I was uh, in that position in the car where I couldn't move, I wouldn't have hit the roof. And mm. I probably would have walked out of the accident, in all honesty, walked out of the accident mm. without any serious damage. So, yeah. 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 Uh, you can call it error of judgment. You can call it anything. It, it was fate. I'm not a person that normally drives without my seatbelt. I always had my seatbelt on. It just happened. I reversed down the driveway. And, you know, when you're reversing, you're turning backwards. You don't have your belt on. And I was mm. literally a kilometer from where the accident happened. And it, it I, I'd just forgotten to put it on, literally. Sure. Um, fate. Yeah. yeah. So. so tell me, when you were lying there, um, you say you, you were just lying there sort of processing everything for about 10 minutes. Did you did you think that you were, because you said you pulled your arm over and then you felt your leg, but what was going through your mind? Like 10 minutes is a long time. Yeah, frustration more than anything else. I, I just wanted to get out the car. I, I literally wanted, I, I, I suppose I still thought I could, untrap myself from from the position I was in and get out the car and have mm. a look at how badly damaged the car was. 
Mm. I mean, the car was mm. my pride and joy. I was devastated that the car was probably yeah. damaged. Yeah. Um, you know, my, my next sort of step, my, my next step literally, and I was literally, if someone hadn't have come, I was probably minutes away from trying to pull the passenger door handle which I was pushed up against. And I felt that if I managed to open the passenger door, I could roll out the car into the, the field and then get up and assess the damage. If, if I'd mm. managed to accomplish that, I would have probably, uh, my head would have probably fallen off. I mean, my neck was, was in such a fragile position as it were. Um, if I'd certainly managed to do that, I, I, I guarantee I would have done way, way more mm. damage than I, I already did. Um, mm. you know, and when so, they eventually so, found yeah. me, I mean, I, when, when they eventually found me, I, I was lying in such a bad, uncomfortable position that I, f I forced them to put a towel around my neck and, and lift me up so that I was in a sitting position in the passenger seat. And the, the friend of mine, you know, people always say, oh, you must never move a people with, with a person with a broken neck and whatever, whatever, mm. a suspected broken neck. But mm. I was in so, such severe pain and I was so uncomfortable that I just wanted to sit up to, to try and what I thought would alleviate the pain. And as they sat me up, it felt like the two parts of my body separated. Um, it literally yeah. felt like the top half of my body and the, and the bottom half of my body tore apart. And I think that's where I did the most damage was insisting that I be moved. Um, and maybe yeah. if I hadn't had done that, things would be different. But you can't sort of dwell on on, on things like that. I always say that mm. I'd wriggled around so much, I'd probably cause so much damage anyway. It is what it is. You can't sit there and spend the the last so many years thinking about it. It's, it's mm. done, it's done. It's one of those things. Mm. Get on with it, you know. So. Mm. So the, the frustration, because I haven't heard you actually say this, but the frustration was that you were trying to move the whole time because the picture I had in my head when you yeah, were first 100%. explaining it. Yeah, You were trying to move. because no, you, you moved your hand. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and to move my hand, literally, I mean, it, 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 I probably tried to do that for the whole of the five minutes. I just couldn't move. I was trying to get this, my right hand up and reach across to the, the driver's door handle yeah. and pull myself up into a sitting position. Yet my mm. right hand wouldn't move. And I put yeah. my right hand down to the fact that it wouldn't move, that literally my arm was broken. And, and it, my wife okay. always says I'm the world's biggest drama queen. So my wife, <laughs> my, my arm just wasn't, wasn't broken. It, it, it was completely shattered in at least 100 places according to me uh, yeah. when I got to the hospital I made them x-ray my arm although they could clearly say there was they could see there was nothing wrong with it I, I insisted that they x-ray it because I was convinced it was it was definitely broken meanwhile there was mm. nothing wrong with it it just felt that way because the way the nerves were trapped all yeah. the pain was going through my arm so Wow. That was the only pain I had was literally in my arm because the mm. nerves in my neck were trapped in a position that they were forcing the, the pain through. So, my, I mean, my arm was in, in terrible pain, um, you know, mm. even after they gave me all the, the drugs and the whatever. I was in pain for five days in hospital um, f from that until I had surgery and they untrapped the nerves. So, so then while you were in the car, did you think then – I'm paralyzed or I'm a quad, like, did you think any, did you think that? No, not at all. I mean, even, you know, I, I've, I still don't think I'm paralyzed. Um, you know, I, it's a little bit weird and I'm very stubborn and, and 
I don't know, maybe a bit too thick-headed. But for me, I've, I've never looked at myself as being paralyzed. The mm. only time, funny enough, that I do feel paralyzed is when I fall out of the wheelchair or I'm on the floor and I have to sort of crawl to the wheelchair or crawl somewhere to get back into the wheelchair. Um, mm. Over the, 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 the recent years, that's, that's changed a bit because the more gym I do, the stronger I am, the easier it is to get off a, a position into the floor, back into the wheelchair. Mm. But the only time I do sort of feel a bit paralyzed is when I'm on the floor. Um, you wow. know, even in a wheelchair, you don't kind of feel paralyzed because you're still quite mobile. You can push the yeah. chair around and you can move. I can jump on and off furniture. I can jump in and out of a car, mm. um, you know, um, and uh, I can obviously stand with a walking frame and walk. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I remember being in, in rehab. I was in rehab for about three months, um, you know, for the spinal injury. And I remember the one morning, um, another guy who was a, a paraplegic, uh, we went to the gym in the morning and we were allowed to train in the, in the, in the gym before mm -hmm. anyone got there. And as we went through to train into the gym, our names were all on the board in the office where, where we went to get the keys for the gym. And my name was up there and I was listed as a quadriplegic. And I thought, huh? That's weird. Quadriplegic. That's that's like means you, you you can't do you can't do anything. Yeah. I'm not a quadriplegic. What are they on about? And and yeah, it was just a, a little bit of a shocker that they'd sort of and I remember saying to the other guy, dude, they've listed me as a quadriplegic. That's not right. <laughs> you know? Um Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I I've always thought that I would be able to walk. I'd never lost the the sort of belief that I'd be able to walk. Um, and I still, 17 years this year, I still believe that one day I'll walk without the walking frame. Um, wow. I, I, I don't know why. I, I, I just, I believe it, it one day will just happen. Um, I'll get stronger and, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe it's stubborn and they say that, you know, you live in denial and it's one of the things that they, with any any major trauma, they say that denial is a big thing, that you, you're going to go through all those stages, the depression, the, mm. I won't say I haven't been depressed, but I get more angry than anything else and then I feel guilty for being angry because I'm lucky in comparison to so many people. Mm. Um, and I, I, I do realize how, how incredibly lucky I am. Um, I, I drove here this morning to speak to you. Um, I go to gym three days a week on my own in my own car. I still have a job that's not affected at all by this injury. As long as I've got a telephone and I can talk, I, I can do my job. So I, I wasn't a mechanic that suddenly couldn't get to work or a bus driver mm. or whatever the case was. Um, although we didn't have medical aid, we had access to money. Um, so we were able to get decent medical care and pay for, pay for what we needed. A lot of people can't, and mm. I, I know how lucky that is. And then I had a, a house that was wheelchair accessible. We made very, mm. very slight modifications and I could get around the house and I had an incredible family and incredible support and a, 
a girlfriend at the time was stupid enough to marry me, which I think she still regrets. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, um, I, yeah. I, I gave her the opportunity to leave at the time and she she missed her opportunity. So yeah, she stuck with me now. And um, yeah, I, I was lucky enough to have a, a great support team. And I always believe that um, the people around you are, are way, way more affected by this than the person that has the injury. Mm. They, they've got to always... You you can have a meltdown whenever you want, because you've 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 suffered a traumatic injury, and if you decide you want to have a meltdown, people kind of mm-hmm. understand. Yeah. Um, however, the people around you are there to hide; they hide their emotion because they they're trying to be brave and be strong for you. Um, mm. And you know, I always believe it's it's way way more harder for like your parents and your your other half and your mm. your siblings mm. and your friends. I mean a lot of a lot of people um couldn't visit me in the hospital. They they just couldn't see me in a wheelchair and and they they couldn't bring themselves to to accept it and just disappeared wow. out of my life because they you know for them it was it was too much to accept um that uh you know seeing seeing other other people were as as normal as they'd ever been and treated me the same as they'd ever treated me, but yeah. strangers treat you totally differently, totally totally differently. Um, you know, people I used to see in the gym on a I used to train uh, five days a week in the gym before the accident, and people I would see on a regular basis. Um, that we've always been brought up to be polite and greet people. So mm-hmm. if I see you five days a week in the gym, as I walk past you, I say hello and I don't have yeah. to have a conversation with you. Yeah. I just nod my head and say hello because you're a yeah. familiar face. I've seen you mm. every day and, and, and that be you, um, a man, a woman, a, a, a young, it doesn't matter. I'd always, the people I saw regularly, I'd always greet. And I found mm. some of the people were quite weird, quite offish at sort of saying hello or whatever. And the moment I had the accident, the attitude changed. People were yeah. all over you and inquisitive. And I think because maybe they felt guilty for staring at you. And then all of a mm. sudden, because you'd saw, seen them stare at you, they suddenly had to come over and yeah. ask you something, um, yeah. you know. Um, but you, you you certainly get treated totally differently, um, you know, being in, a, being in a wheelchair or yeah. whatever the case is. Funny, so, yeah. So tell me yeah, what um, you talk about work and your, you know, you you obviously you're very aware of, you know, your, yeah, you're very grateful for your position, but you also see it that way. You choose to see it that way. Just tell us a bit what about what you do and how you do make money and, you know, what what's what's that side of your life like. I'd like to say I'm a bank robber, but um, obviously, uh, you know, running out of the bank is is, is not a, a not a profession for me. No, I uh, know I I I I have yeah. Look, you know, I'd get caught quite quickly. But um, I, I'm sort of I I have two companies. I run an import export business where I I buy and sell various commodities all over the world. Um, I, that was my main core business, and I also used to buy and sell uh, Porsche bears um, as a hobby, which has now turned into my main business. So my main mm-hmm. business is I buy and sell Porsche bears all over the world, and um, I do that from my house. So I've got everything set up at home, and as yeah. I say, as long as I've got access to an internet and the phone. 
you know, I can, I can get on a computer and mm. obviously these days with the internet, you can, you can manage to do stuff like that. So I've always been mm. fortunate enough to literally while I was in rehab, I was, I was doing import export deals because my customers were still talking to me and I still had my phone and I was still able to organize to get stock moved and, you know, I didn't need, I'd just make a phone call and say, somebody's coming to pick up that order or we're sending a truck or whatever the case is. And they'd pick it up and pack it and send it overseas. It was it's fairly yeah. easy to organize with the phone. Yeah. And that's always been a plus. It's always, it's been a massive, massive bonus because literally mm. people, their, their, their lives, their careers, you know, everything, everything is affected. So I always say to people, when you, when you're chatting when you're chatting to someone in a wheelchair, just think of, of, of where you're sitting at the moment and imagine if where you're sitting in your little office or your place of, of where you're sitting, imagine if you were stuck there now in a wheelchair mm. and you're now, suddenly you're in a wheelchair. Are you in a double story house? Could you get downstairs? Would you have to move house? Uh, your current career, could you, could you do what you do now or would you have to change your job? Would you be able to get to the bathroom in a wheelchair where you're sitting now? Are your corridors wide enough? Would you be able to get mm. down to where you last left your car parked? You know, if you suddenly think about those things for five minutes, it it, it's, it changes your whole perspective because a lot of people will say, oh, hang on, I can't get to where my car is. I can't get to my bathroom because I wouldn't be able to mm. get into my bathroom with a wheelchair because there's just not enough space in my bathroom. Mm. There are four stairs to get into, you know. And then throw something in the mix, sit on your hands. And now all of a sudden you've just been promoted. You've gone from being a, a paraplegic to a quadriplegic because now you yeah. suddenly can't move your arms. Yeah. Your nose is itchy. Can you scratch it? No, you can't. You have to get someone to scratch your nose. You have to get someone to feed you, someone to shave you. Mm. All that suddenly has, has changed. And I can do... A lot of stuff. My wife says I'm useless, that I can't do most of the stuff. But I, 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 I can do a lot of stuff myself. She's convinced that I'd die within a week if she wasn't around. Um, I think I'd last slightly longer than a week. But no, she's convinced I'm pretty useless. When I first had the accident, I, I literally, I say I sat down. I was lying down at the time in a hospital bed. But I said to her at the time, look, you know, in all seriousness, we, we've been together for eight years. Um, mm. You didn't sign up for this. This wasn't mm. something that we expected to happen in our lives. And I, I really feel that it's not fair to expect you to stick around. And mm. if you left, I, I, I wouldn't have an issue with it because I would understand it. Now, I meant that in all honesty from the bottom of my heart. Yeah. And she took one look at me and said, dude, seriously, you hardly did anything before the accident. <laughs> it's not going to make any difference to the amount that you do. I do everything for you anyway. So, yeah. And tell me, because you, you don't have kids, huh? No, I've, I've never wanted, I've never, I, I don't dislike children, but I've never been a, 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 a kid person. Um, mm. Fortunately, I met somebody who felt the same. My wife has never really wanted kids. So um, we've got lots of animals. We both share a, a very serious passion for animals. And we yeah. ha we've always had a lot of dogs and she's got horses. And at one stage we had a we had a bull for probably 13 years. We had a pet bull, which um, yeah. we raised from three days old to 13 or 14 years old. So we, we've had a lot of animals, which we consider our kids. 
I mm. never really wanted children, much to my, my, my mother's um, great disappointment. Yeah. She nagged for a long time, um, hope, hoping that there would be some grandkids. And, yeah. But um, yeah, you know, it, it, it didn't happen. So, mm. um, and definitely not going to happen. Um, yeah. So, yeah. But so, I mean, and that is, is, would that be possible if you wanted it to happen now? Like hypothetically? Yeah, yeah, hundred, hypothetically, no, no, hypothetically, yes, certainly still possible. Um, But not something that I've, I've ever wanted. And, um, you know, so yeah. Um, Which is fortunate. I think if you're in a, that, you know, things like that in a relationship are a, a, a breaking point for a lot of people. Sure. You want kids, the other half doesn't, um, mm. you know, uh, that type of thing. So fortunately, yeah. we had common ground there and it, it was never, ever something that um, either of us wanted. So yeah. It, yeah. it was, you know, a, a, yeah. a great thing. So yeah, P- people, that's another thing. I mean, somebody who, who wanted kids and got into a position where they couldn't because of an accident, that could also break up a, you know, relationship. So, mm. Yeah. But tell me, does that, does it, when you, okay, I mean, it's a very straightforward question here, but does it affect, I spoke to, to Oliver about this actually, and because we had to break our interview into two parts again, because of the internet problem, um, he was quite uh, open about this, you know, in terms of, you know, taking, taking Viagra or, um, you know, they, 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 get help in in certain ways you know in that department or, yeah obviously um, like but you know, is that do you need that or is that a separate muscle like what how does that work yeah look i mean you 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 don't need it all the time and it, it certainly is um you know a, a separate thing but everybody's different um as i say that's mm. that's the way where injuries are so weird that certain mm. people um n- nothing will work um and other people certain things will work um you know so yeah um it, it would always be possible for me to have kids if i wanted to um yeah. sure i can't i can't swing off the chandelier you know like i potentially <laughs> used to um so 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 maybe you know maybe the last five pages of the karma sutra are sort of impossible now and handstands are out but um you you adapt um you know like anything um you know people 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 learn to adapt and they say you never know what you can achieve until you're pushed to that that limit Mm. um you know um so it's funny you're saying that right um so I interviewed someone recently and um, um, Jeffrey Deskovic and he, you know, he was imprisoned for a very long time, falsely accused of rape and murder. And um, he was, he was saying how, you know, he couldn't think of anything worse. Actually, so he, he talks about jail and how jail was, you know, just the worst thing that could happen. But he referred to being in an accident and maybe becoming a quadriplegic being even worse than being wrongly accused and going to jail for doing something you didn't do. And it's it's funny how when you're in that situation as a human being, you handle it. You you know, and and the the question yeah. or the debate is: Is it because of the way your mind is programmed, or you know, from before? Or is it that you choose, okay, I'm not going to let this get me down and it's a choice at that moment and then you react from there. You know, it's interesting 
to analyze, you know, where does the strength come from for people to then get through it? Does it come from the pre-programming from before or is it a choice in that moment? And then from there, you know, you, you react accordingly. Yeah, it's, it's, look, I've always been a, an incredibly stubborn person and I've always been a person that never likes to be told what to do and, uh, you know, also doesn't like to be told I can't do something. So I've had previous things in my life where somebody has said, oh, look, you'll, you'll never be able to do that. And mm. that kind of annoyed me and I try and go out of my way to to prove them wrong. Um, I had two two physical challenges in uh during the course of of my my disability that people were convinced i i wouldn't be able to do and i in both instances proved them wrong um what were those it's weird one of my uh well the 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 first one was I, i i did used to do a lot of physio in durban um because when i first had my accident all my therapists i was at a hospital in durban so all my therapists were in durban Mm. so i used to travel to durban every day i had somebody who could drive me in those days because i couldn't drive myself so we had a friend who we employed um to drive me because my wife runs the the, my wife is superhuman so she runs the farm Mm. on her own and literally does everything so she would get me ready in the morning and then a friend would pick me up and take me to physio and drive me around for the day bring me home and and drop me off at home and then I would eat and then go off to gym um and it got to the stage where I was able to drive myself and I was with one of my therapists driving in Durban one day while they were building Moses Mabita Stadium Mm -hmm. and as we were driving past on our way to physio I noticed that people could walk up the arch or the 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 construction workers were building the arch and I, and I noticed them walking up the arch and I, I remember saying to her, hey, that's cool. People can walk up the arch. We should do mm. that one day. Mm. And she sort of looked at me and said, sorry, what, dude? I said, the arch. They, they, we should climb the arch one day. I mean, people can, she said to me, seriously, how many steps can you actually walk up with that walking frame? I said, I don't know. Let's go to the gym and find out. So off we went to Kings Park Gym where they had a, a double staircase and an elevator a lift mm. and I said right let's 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 see well I think I managed to climb 17 steps in probably an hour by dragging myself up with my arms so basically I, I held onto the rail and just pulled myself up the steps and my right leg never really lifted properly so I sort of would put all the weight onto my left leg and sort of swing my right leg as much as I could to get it onto the next step and mm. off I went. And, and by the end of 17 steps, I think it had taken me nearly an hour. And I was literally exhausted. Mm. I mean, my, my hands, my arms were, were totally exhausted because I'd, mm. I dragged my sort of my, my whole body up using my arms. Yeah. And she turned around and said to me, right, that's 17 steps. Moses Mabita is over 500 steps. Do the math. So I said to her, it's not a case of doing the math. We'll do some training and we'll do that in a year or so. And it became a little bit of a, a sort of standing joke, as it were, and um, mm. somebody else heard about it. And I was quite serious about it. So we changed our training pattern. And what we used to do was we'd go to Kings Park instead of doing sort of um, any sort of type of exercise that we'd been doing in the past, we'd go to Kings Park and we'd climb stairs. And that's all yeah. we do. 
So yeah. we drag myself up the stairs and go down in the lift and she would go down in the lift with the walker or meet me at the top with the walker. Mm. And then we go down the lift and back up mm. the stairs again. And we did that until I could do more and more stairs. And I was quite adamant that I was going to do it, but I don't think anyone believed that I was going to do it. Mm. And a friend of mine who was uh, one of the top x-ray doctors in Durban, um, a guy called Stuart Kidgel. Um, Stuart and I raced three weeks before the accident. We used to race together. So three mm-hmm. weeks before the accident, Stuart and I were racing together. And then when I had my accident, Stuart was the doctor on call um, when I was wheeled into the x-ray. So he was the mm-hmm. doctor on call who saw mm-hmm. me in my with my broken neck and had to break the news to my family that I was in very, very bad shape and there was no way I was going to walk or be able to move from the neck down. Mm. So while I was in rehab, it was in the same hospital that Stuart was in. I used to jump in the wheelchair and go up to Stuart's end of the hospital and say to him, look, uh, check, I mean, uh, my finger's working better, or this is, I'm going to, you don't know me, I'm going to walk. And he used to always be quite amazed at how much functionality was coming back and how determined I was to to get out of the wheelchair. So I, I kept in touch with him. And when I managed to stand, I, you know, told him, and he was very shocked that I could even stand, never mind walk. And and sort of mm. over the years, I'd, I'd sort of said to him, this is what I was, you know, able to do. And the fact that I could stand and even walk sort of two, three steps on a walking frame shocked everybody. Um, mm. And the Moses Mabita was in 2012. So my accident was in 2003. Uh, 2004, mm-hmm. sorry. Um, and I, I just got bored. Physio had got boring. Gym had got boring. Exercises got boring. And Moses Mabita became a challenge. And and yeah. the fact that no one believed I could, no matter who tells you, oh, no, they believed I could do it. None of them believed it. Not one person mm. believed I could do Moses Mabita except me. And yeah, we, we just trained and trained. And Stuart then decided he, he was going to get involved. And Stuart and I went and had a meeting with the guys at Moses Mabida and explained to them what we were going to do. And that they were so thrilled and so accepting. For them, it was the best thing they'd ever heard. They, were, they mm. welcomed us with open arms. They gave us full access to the stadium. And we had a lot of things that we, not only my physical problems overcoming it, but the, the steps up to Moses Mabida don't have a rail. So you, you walk between two concrete arches, as it were, but there's no handrail. Mm. So I can't climb steps like that because I've got nothing to hold on to yeah. or nothing to pull myself up with. So mm. we got a friend of ours who um, builds custom exhaust to build us a handrail that we could move. So the oh, handrail brilliant. was in three pieces. And, and basically, I had two people behind me. And as I passed the first piece, they unclipped it and then ran to the front and clipped it onto the front of the rail so that the rail was a continuous rail for me to, mm. to pull myself up on. Um, and yeah, the, you know, the, the story started spreading around that I was going to attempt Moses Mabida and um, people started wanting to get involved. And we decided to make it a charity event um, and mm-hmm. raise money for the Quad Para Association, uh, for Spinal Cord, uh, the rugby players, um, the, the, the guys involved in the Chris Berger, uh, Petra Jackson Rugby Players Spinal Cord Fund. Because where I was training at Kings Park, one of my uh, 
trainers used to do Pilates with the rugby guys. So mm-hmm. she knew quite a few of the rugby guys who'd seen me training. I, I wasn't a rugby fan at the time and sort of got to know a few of the guys who wanted to get involved. And um, then uh, we, we donated to Highway Hospice as well because I've previously had cancer. So we wanted to um, also donate to, to Highway Hospice. And yeah, we, we we trained for, I think, about a year beforehand. Um, and then climbed Moses Mabida in May of 2012, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and got up the, the 550 steps in just over an hour. Mm. Um, wow, in just and, over an hour. Uh, raised ra- just over an hour. I always mm. curse because... The when I had my accident, uh, there was a volunteer paramedic who worked for literally for himself up in the highway area. So he used to drive around working for as a volunteer for a, a group called Vima, which was volunteer people like paramedics who used to do in their own time drive around helping people mm. that were injured. Yes, and he was the one who rescued me from the car and and helped me. Um, out of the car and I kept in touch with him over the years and Mm -hmm. when I climbed Moses Mabida I invited him to come along to climb the stadium with me Um, so he climbed the stadium with me with another paramedic both in their full-blown paramedic uniforms um, basically as my medical support team and um, I always laugh because I always say that Shannon the guy that uh, the, the paramedic I always say he was more unfit than than I was, and the second paramedic was for him and not for me. Um, but he kept stopping me and checking my blood pressure, and you know he was very concerned about obviously about what I was doing and that I would be okay to do it. And um, I always tell them they slowed me down; that I could have done it in under an hour if they hadn't kept making me yeah, stop and yeah. you know to check blood pressure and that. So uh, Moses Mubita, although it was a triumph for me. I always, in the back of my mind, feel it was a little bit of a failure because we could have done it in under an hour. Uh, and that's just sort of the way I am. I, yeah. I, I, I look at things like that um, and I feel y- you can always do better. Um, yeah. And one day I'll go back to Moses Mabidia and do it in half an hour because I believe I can. So, so tell me, you know, do, you, um, do, you think, um, do you think this whole... Uh, idea and the science or the, the 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 medicine behind you know when someone becomes paralyzed or you know severs a part of their spine or uh, uh, do you think that that's old-fashioned or not old-fashioned but like old, an old way of thinking to to then conclude it and say this person will never walk again um do you think that that is an an old way of thinking now because there's so much to be said now for the power of the mind and, you know, the whole epigenetics uh, exploration these days and how you can change your genes. And so what's your idea of that? Yeah, 100%. Um, I think that a lot of things like that, it's all about attitude. So like anything else, if you decide in the morning that you you really don't want to go to gym because you really don't feel like it, when you get to gym, it becomes a struggle 
because you, you, you really struggle through every exercise because you really don't want to be there. You just want to be home and, and tucked up in bed or whatever the case is. So whatever you go into, if you go into any, any task at all, not only something like a spinal cord injury, if you start off with the wrong attitude, you, you're already crippling yourself. You, you, you're mm. already hindering the possibility of, of you doing anything. And incomplete spinal cord injury is, is literally, it's incomplete. It's not a, a, a guaranteed 100% severed spinal cord and there's just no hope. But the problem being is when you go to a rehab facility and it's not really the, the, the people's fault at the rehab because they're seeing not only you, they're seeing hundreds and hundreds of patients all the time and all different patients. They get very accustomed to the attitude of, let's just get him into a wheelchair and functional and let's just get him to be able to transfer out of that wheelchair onto mm. a toilet because he needs to be able to do that and out of a wheelchair into a car if possible because he needs to be able to travel to go to wherever. So mm. their main focus is basically that and only that. When I was in rehab we insisted on having what they call passive movements on my legs, which although I couldn't move my legs, I wanted them still to move my legs for me. So mm -hmm. we insisted on passive movements. And there was a big uproar about it in, in the rehab because they said, why are you so insistent on passive movements on your legs? Because you're never going to be able to move your legs. So stop Did worrying about what's that going on you? with your they legs. Did they say yeah, that to you? They said, no, Mark, why are you, you, yeah. you wasting the staff's time? You're wasting the physio's time? 100%. So that, that, that was the attitude. And that, don't get me wrong, there are a lot of good people and a lot of caring people and a lot of great people that helped me while I was in rehab. But the attitude in rehab literally was, let's get him functional into a wheelchair and let's get him functional, being able to get in and out of a car and on and off the toilet. He will never walk. Um, you know, with me being so insistent, um, I, I had a change in therapists at the at the the rehab, and I got someone who was more willing to let me try and walk in in walk in, in walking parallel bars and try mm. and stand and stuff like that. Um, but they they really think that you they they still now people that see me from the rehab many many mm. years later because sometimes I get asked to to go to a hospital or to go to rehab and talk to somebody who's just had an accident um, to try and give them a bit of emotional support and whatever. And I get told off for giving them false hope. Um, and I, I don't try and give them false hope. I just try and explain to them that you need to adapt and you need to try and work out the best way forward. Um, don't just mm. give up. So if you decide the best way forward is if, if literally if you're paralyzed from the neck down and you can't do anything and, and you're never going to be able to do anything, what is the best you can make out of that situation? Because mm -hmm. it's not going to do you any good just to go into a total depression and, and, and totally give up. And it's easy for me to say that because I have a very, very easy life in comparison to a lot of people. Um, I really do. And um, so it's easy for me to sit here and say, don't give up and don't this and don't that. But um, mm. you really have to try and be positive. And, and mm. you know, there, there's a lot in the mind and there's a lot that um, 
uh, there's just a lot that you can get through if you really if you really try and you know one of the as i say one of the big things is when i come up with something that i want to do like an outrageous challenge or something um you know people people always look and go really seriously okay no, no let's stop being stupid um you know the the you asked me previously where the the term walking quadriplegic comes from mm. and um that was oliver oliver's nickname that he gave me um i i'd known him over the years at at therapy um and sort of interacted with him a little i knew he had ms but we sort of had different times. So I'd sort of catch him as he was leaving and I, I mm. was starting or whatever the case is. And then after my my second neck trauma in 2017, I really felt like I'd gone backwards dramatically. Um, when I had that second surgery, I had a lot of pain and a lot of problems with my right arm and and we noticed at physio that mm. I was starting to get muscle wastage and my movement on my right side was starting to get quite dramatically affected. So mm. uh, I, I started, I was in a lot of pain, which I'd been fortunate enough never to be in pain before in my accident, except for the first five days. So mm -hmm. I, I was very fortunate not to suffer from pain. And a lot of people suffer from tremendous pain. Mm -hmm. um, I, I didn't, which was very fortunate. But in 2017, I started to, to have all these issues with the uh, pain and whatever the case was. And, um, started to have muscle wastage which we we worked out was trapped nerves in my neck and I ended up having to go for that second surgery um when I came out of the second surgery I could not move my right arm at all so for the first probably four or five days my right arm was totally dead it wouldn't lift yeah. I couldn't move it um and and that was sort of a major setback from if you think somebody who managed to to climb the stadium in 2012, all of a sudden, five years later, um, hmm. I'm, I'm basically, I can't walk on a walking frame now because I can't stand because I need both my arms to stand and push myself up on yes. the walker. All of a sudden, I'm stuck in a wheelchair because now I can't get up. And, and when we had the surgery, one of the things he said to me was, you always know there's a risk with surgery. Um, you, mm. you don't know whether you're going to have a problem. When when we came out of surgery, he said to me, look, there weren't any complications. There weren't any problems. It, it seemed to have gone well. Um, I'm not sure why you can't move your right arm at this stage. Maybe it's swelling or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Let's just see how it goes. Unfortunately, within a week or so, it, it started to improve. Um, but I, then, I, you know, I sort of, I came back to physio and I, just for that sort of next year and a bit, I, I just felt I was going nowhere. Things were, yeah, I was able to walk with a walk and that, but things were just a, a bit stale. It was, there was no challenge. There was no anything. And mm -hmm. on the way to physio one morning, I was, I was driving through to physio. It was probably about a year after I'd had that surgery. And um, I was listening to the radio driving through to, to physio and, they just announced that um, they, they just finished the East Coast Radio 5K walk, mm. and I thought, oh, that's cool. I've always wanted to. I've always wanted to do that since I broke my neck. Um, mm. That's interesting. Would be quite nice to do that. So I promptly arrived at physio and told Mary, "We're doing the East Coast walk next year," and she sort of looked at me and said, "Sorry, we what?" 
And I said, we're doing the East Coast 5K next year on, on the walker. So she said to me, well, okay, um, yeah. And, and when I walked, my right foot dragged very badly. I always say it was like dragging a tree stump behind me because mm -hmm. I used to go through regularly wear through shoes because my right toes were basically dragging on the floor with my foot pointed out um, and my leg was totally stiff so I couldn't unlock my knee. I always say mm. it was like taking Viagra and it went to the wrong place. So my <laughs> knee was totally stiff, my leg was totally stiff and I, I couldn't unlock my leg. Couldn't unlock my right leg to, to basically walk. So yeah. with a walking frame, I used to, on my, my left leg could move forward, but my right side and my right leg was literally dragging behind me, yeah. sort of stuck out in a, in a full lock position and was very difficult to unlock. Mm. So Mary and I then took a walk around the gym and did uh, our first training exercise about a year before the East Coast walk. And we managed to do 500 meters in, in an hour. I stopped four times. And I was literally dead on my feet. I think for the next two days, I couldn't walk. Mm. And Mary sort of looked at me and said, that's 500 meters in an hour. Just work that out logically that to do the East Coasts based on that speed, mm. you're going to take 10 hours to do the East Coast 5K. So I said, well, yeah, but you know, you just keep at it. And yeah. I've always approached things like that to me, I've always had a love for racing and a passion for speed and stuff like that. So for mm. me, this became a, a race car challenge. Mm. It, like, like any motorsport event, I was the race car and I needed to properly plan my strategy and where I was going to stop and how I was going to approach yeah. the race. And as long as I planned things properly and worked it all out, I was confident yeah. I was going to do it without an issue. Yeah. Um, and so we literally, me, from the first... Yeah. From the first training session, we timed it. And we literally, I still to this day time every walk that I do. Mm. I'm looking for improvement. And when I was slower one day, we would analyze it and work out why I was slower and what had changed and whatever the case is. Um, and we, we just trained solidly for the year. Mm. Um, by the time we finished, I think we'd done 300 hours worth of training. And close to 275 kilometers of walking. And in May 2019, I, I walked the East Coast five kilometer. Um, mm. And it took me five hours and 38 minutes. But I did it. Um, contrary to what people believed. And I proved all the people wrong that didn't think I would yeah. do it. And I, I managed to do it. Um, yeah. So, so tell yeah, me something. What... Know, what were you, t tell me about your childhood quickly. Just paint that picture for me. What were you like as a child? What was your childhood like? Your parents, how were they with you? We, we had a fantastic childhood. We were, we were very well, very well looked after, very well loved by our parents. Um, we, I was born overseas in, in England. Um, I left when I was four and we moved to Zambia because my dad went and worked in Zambia on the mines mm -hmm. and we all moved to Zambia and then in 19, I can't, well, in 1976, so it makes me very, very old, but in 1976, we moved to South Africa and um, we've always lived in, in this area and we had a great childhood. My parents mm. were old school. We were naughty little kids and we pushed them to the limit all the time. 
But um, my parents brought us up where we knew we respected my parents, and we were we were we were naughty kids, but we were also um, we were we were well brought up kids. My mom mm. just used to give us that look that the old school parents gave you, and we knew we were in trouble. She didn't need to escalate it and tell us she was going to tell dad, who would then discipline us. If mom gave us the look, we knew. It was time to behave. But of course, we really? pushed it to the limits wherever we could. <laughs> My mother still tells me today that I'm not too old for a good hiding. So there we go. <laughs> yeah, so you knew the consequence would be a very good hiding. No, 100%. 100%. Yeah. So yeah, yeah we, we, we behaved. We, we, we took chances where we could and drove our parents nuts and we we. You know, we got caught stealing my mother's mm. car and you know, we did all sorts of naughty things that, you know, kids do and all sorts of stupid things. But yeah. um, we, 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 we had a great childhood. We really did. Yeah. We, we, were, we yeah. were well cared for. We were well loved. And we had a, we had a great childhood. Mm. And we is? How many of you? Uh, I, there are three of us, um, a brother and a, a sister. Um, my brother unfortunately passed away a number of years ago. Um, wow. so it's just my sister and, um, my, my folks are both still around. My dad actually turns 80 this month and wow. I hope I've got his genes because he looks nothing like 80. So I'm hoping that I've got dad's genes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so. So earlier on you said, um, you spoke about fate and you said you just, you know, you felt it was just meant to be this. It was, it was, there's, you know, you, you forgot to put your seatbelt on. You never do. It was literally, it was just down the road. Um, why do you think this happened to you or needed to happen to you or, you know, in this philosophical? I, I don't really think it needed to happen or um it just happens. Shit happens. I mean, there, there's nothing you can do about certain situations. People always, you know, when I say it's fate, I don't mean that it was in my, it just, it happened. It was one of those things and, mm. you know, just deal with it. Um, I don't believe that um, certain things are laid down for us in life. Um, you know, if, if you put your fingers in the toaster, they're going to get burned. That's a fact. Um, mm. You know, so actions have consequences. It was one of those things. Um, the, I don't know why I didn't have my seatbelt on, and I'm sure life would have been differently if I had. Um, it just happened. It is what yeah. it is. There's not much you can do about it. You can't change it. We yeah. move forward, eh? Yeah. And tell me, you said you lost your brother. I'm sorry to hear that. Hmm. Yeah, Is that's that, look not something yeah. I really want to talk. Not something no. I'd like to talk about. Um, but yeah, my my I, I lost my brother very close to the time that I had my accident. So my brother never found out about my accident. Um, you know, and that that for me was um, you know, very, must be very hard for my folks. Um, because obviously they had uh, two tragedies to deal with it yeah. in in very close period of time wow. um and i think for them uh, dealing with the loss of my brother which was very very hard for them obviously yeah. um uh, th they had to be brave and had to sort of move on and concentrate on on me who who'd suffered severe trauma but was still here um you um. know so that's why i say i always feel it's it, it's way harder for 
for other people than it is for the person that's had the accident. My, my folks mm. certainly had a lot more to deal with than, than, I, than I had to deal with. So, mm. you know. Wow, I'm sorry to hear that. It's, uh, I've lost a brother too. So it's, uh, it's not something that, um, you know, certainly uh, you talk about your folks and how your dad doesn't even look 80, you know, you, to see how that affects your parents is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a shocking experience to go through. So that, you know, if, if I, if I know someone's gone through that, I can, it like goes straight to my heart, you know, I feel the, you know, yeah, they say you know loss. that the parents should never be burying their burying their children, mm. type of thing. And um, mm. yeah, I, th I think it was it was a, a very very hard time for for my folks. Um, and obviously, as I say, a double double tragedy for them because wow. um, you know suddenly um, they're, they're dealing with a son that's um, going to potentially be permanently paralyzed. Mm. And um, yeah. Um, you know, big, 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 big thing for them, you know, so um, yeah. very, very, very hard time, you know, so. Yeah. And I, I don't and think you ever get over the, the loss of, of somebody, um, you mm -hmm. know, um, of, of a family member. I've, I think that that's always going to be uh, something that's always going to be hard to deal with. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, but tell me on, on that note, because you are such a, you are such a positive person and, you know, also understanding your childhood, you, you know, you were raised with so much love and I can imagine that that's always given you, you know, also the, the, the strength that, you know, just, it's just always there, the support, you know, it, you, you, someone's always got your back, you know, it's that feeling, right. That you, you have this love and energy supporting you as well. So it's, it has a huge impact on on human beings and the way they move forward with with life is if they've had the support of their parents i believe you know obviously on the other side one can get fueled by also not having had that support but i'm just uh you're able to deal with yourself and that's interesting you're able to deal with your own stuff you can deal with it you know you you make your decisions you say you want to climb this you say you want to walk that and you you go for it um, but I am curious because it's also often things happen to people that it's not in their control as was your accident, but because it's you, you were able to cope with it. But in terms of like having lost someone that you love so incredibly, were you able to cope with that as well? Or were you just so busy surviving yourself, you know, or did you have that same strength to cope yeah, with the loss? Yeah. Yeah, you know, it, it it was difficult because you sort of you, you always think to yourself, um, could could we have, not that we weren't close or anything? We were a year apart and and we were close. But my brother um, spent a lot of his time. Um, he lived overseas for a long time. Um, uh, he went overseas. Uh, he finished school um, uh, when he was young. He finished school before me, although he was younger than me. And he went and did a, an apprenticeship as a mechanic and was a, ended up as a very good mechanic. And then he went overseas before I did. I joined him overseas and then I came back and he stayed over there. Um, eventually, he moved back to South Africa. Um, 
when I say we weren't close, we were certainly were close. Um, mm. But you always think to yourself, could we have been closer? Could we have spent more time together? Um, mm. You know, and I, I think you you sort of regret the time that uh, and the time and the opportunities that you lost. Um, you know, we we had our separate interests and whatever the case is. And you always mm. think to yourself, certainly, could we have um, you know spent more time together and 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 re- regret that. Um, yeah, I, I, it wasn't easy dealing with it, but I always felt um, I was trying to deal with my own stuff at the time. And and you sort of you put on a you you have to put on a brave face because no matter what you're dealing with, the people around you who's supporting you are also dealing with a lot, and you don't want to try and make the the situation worse for them. Um, mm. You know, they they're trying to cope with 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 seeing you in a different situation, and they they're trying to cope with all the emotions that that they've got to deal with. You know, relating to to you, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, as I said, I, I was very fortunate to have a very 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 strong support team around me. You know, especially uh, my my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife. I mean. Mm. Uh, to 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 step up and say, well, I'm not going anywhere um, is a big thing. And I, I can, you know, there, there are people that have had accidents that the other half has disappeared in five minutes, um, mm. you know. And for me, that, that didn't happen. As I mm. say, she, she made the stupid mistake of marrying me. Um, and, um, yeah, it, it, it's hard for the people around you, you know. So, and I... I get angry with um, a lot of, I get very frustrated and very angry with a lot of things and not being able to do silly little things like sometimes mm. turn a tap off or whatever, like uh, the tap will get stuck and I can't turn the tap off, um, you know, because I just don't have the strength to do it. And Taryn will walk through and turn off the tap like there's, you know, it's the easiest thing in the world. Mm. And I sort of look at that and get a bit frustrated, but the fact that it, it happens very rarely and that I can do most things, I, I, I realize I, I, I can't get frustrated at the small things because I'm lucky to be able to, to do what I want to, mm. to do most of the time. Um, mm. If I want to go and have a cup of coffee, I can literally go home and make myself a cup of coffee. There are a lot of people that can't do that. Yeah. So they sit there wanting a cup of coffee, but they, they've got to ask somebody to do it and there's nothing worse than having to ask somebody to do every single thing for you um you you just feel terrible you know because that person especially if that person has run off their feet trying to cope with everything else that's going on in their lives and and Mm. you know do everything else as say my, my wife runs a whole farm on her own. We have a six-acre farm that she mows on her own with a push mower with no help of staff. She looks after up to 11 horses on her own with no grooms, um, runs the whole household and puts up with all my nonsense. Um, so mm. you always, you don't want to put more on their plate because they do so much as it is. So, you know, mm. um, being able to do stuff for yourself is a, is a bonus. Being able to drive, not not having to ask somebody I need to go somewhere. Can you drive me there? Um, mm. Can you can you feed me? Can you shave me? You know that type of stuff. It's it's. I realize how lucky I am, and and it's a big thing. It, it's. I really do feel guilty the moment I I sort of get a bit frustrated or get a bit sort of 
not depressed with life because I'm, I'm not really that type of person, but just get a bit, oh, you know, sometimes it's a bit much type of thing. Then you start feeling guilty because you think you've got no right to, to feel like that because you can do so mm. much for yourself. Snap out of it. Get mm. yourself sorted out. Stop being an idiot. You know, mm. you, you're very fortunate and very lucky and you need to realize that. Um, so. so I've heard you. I've heard you say quite a few times feeling guilty. Um, this association and this connection with uh, the sense within you of uh, feeling guilty. Like, where is where does that come from? You know, I, I don't know. I just feel you. There's always somebody worse off than you. You don't really have the right to complain if guaranteed I can find somebody worse off than you in five minutes. Sure, there's always somebody better off than you, but there's, there's always somebody worse off than you. Mm. Just be grateful for be grateful for what you have. And, you know, situations are, are, are difficult in whatever the case is. But, yeah, I mean, I can do so much. I, I, I can't feel sorry for myself and it, I, I just feel too guilty if because other people would would trade places with me tomorrow I can tell you 10 15 people that would would love to be able to jump in a car and drive and can't um you know Oliver can't mm. drive himself so I mean Oliver would love to be able to drive himself I'm sure um you know so I can drive myself I can't moan about my situation and sure I, I, I can't race anymore but at this point um you know um and I, I lost what was a big part of, of my life before um but I can still do so much um you know hmm. so and have you always been this positive person having this positive outlook have you always had that or have you have you had to come to learn to be like this I don't really think it's a positive outlook. I think it's just stubborn, eh? I'm, I'm really just, I'm, 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 I'm that stubborn and determined that I won't be beaten. I always say that if, if I'm, I'm a bit thick-headed, so I feel that if my hand got cut off, I'd probably think I could grow another one. Um, you know, which obviously I can't, but I'd, I'd, I'd probably be convinced that I could eventually grow another mm. hand or something stupid. I'm just so stubborn that I, yeah, you know, that there's people still think I'm in denial, but it's if I'm in denial, I'm in denial. It's been 16, 17 years, and if that's the way I, I cope with a situation, then that's the way I cope with it. Um, you know, I still don't believe, well, as you know, that I'm paralyzed, and yeah. Uh, well, what is it that that's you? That's just me. When when you say you're stubborn and in denial, and you say it with such energy also and conviction what is it that you don't want to be like what don't you want to be i don't want to be beaten um i i i'm i'm always i won't say i'm always disappointed in myself um i'm not always disappointed in myself but i always feel i can do better um so uh, the the uh, moses mebita was an example I, I i felt i should have done it in under an hour mm. um when i did the east coast 5k for me the goal was to do it in under five hours it took mm. me five hours 38 so when i finished it was i happy i finished it and was i proud that i finished it sure 100 percent. but was i disappointed 100 percent. 
always feel I could have done better. Mm-hmm. Um, it's never enough. Enough, enough is never enough. Um, you can always push yourself harder. You can always do more. I'm never going to be satisfied no matter what. Um, and um, has that ever there, driven a, there, you? Has that ever driven you uh, in a negative way? Has it ever not driven you in a negative way, but has it ever led you to a negative place? That idea of I never want to be beaten. Um, in a way, because you're never satisfied, so mm. you you're always kind of a little bit frustrated. Um, I, I think I've got some form of OCD. My wife says it is definitely impossible. I'm the messiest person on the planet. And there's no way that I've got OCD being so messy. Um, she curses me because of, because of my business, my, my Porsche parts business. Um, I've got parts spread all over the house. So our dining room, for example, is full of steering wheels, which I've yeah. promised her over the past probably three or four years that I'm cleaning up next weekend. And it never, ever happens. Yeah. I think I've probably put more steering wheels in there over the years than I've taken out. So, yeah, you know, um, it, it, yeah, I, in in a way, I suppose that the the negative side of it is that you're never satisfied, but the positive side of it is that I always feel I can do better. So I I go um, to gym every time, thinking I can be stronger. I can I can push more weights I can mm. do whatever and I ha- I'll have a bad day and I, I don't really get frustrated to the point of getting depressed about a bad day I just think well okay that's a bad day you didn't have a great day today at gym it, it, things weren't well it wasn't an easy day mm. just next day will be will be a better day just do better next time just push yourself harder next time just get mm. over it you'll sort yourself out you know, you have a bad walk. Um, I, 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 my body after the accident does some very strange things. And even the physiotherapist, we laugh and always say that I'm wired backwards since the accident and, yeah. and that certain things just don't work. And then for some reason, like I'll have my best walk ever and I'll, I'll do my fastest time and my best walk ever. And then two days later, I'll get a back spasm and I won't be able to stand in the wheelchair. Mm. So I'll be stuck in a wheelchair for a week or two weeks and and we can't work out why it's happened or what's happened. Mm. And then suddenly out of the blue, I'll be up and walking again and and do my best time. Um, It is what it is. You just deal with it as you you sort of go along and learn to adapt and make a plan. I mean, it it gets frustrating when you can't do what you used to do. and yeah, when, when in 2017, when my neck got really bad, it, it got very frustrating. It, it got very, um, be, being back in a wheelchair was <laughs> was depressing in a way, um, certainly. Um, it gets you down, um, you know. Um, you just got to, I just get angry and try and move forward, um, yeah. you know. I find yeah. anger helps me. Um, being a bit angry about it instead of being depressed about it. Yeah. That that anger helps helps fuel me. Yeah. Um, you know. So that's it's a ni- it's nice to yeah. hear that also. You know, also p- for people listening, um, because in society and in life, you know, we, we we get so brainwashed growing up, and you know, just the the messages out there, you know, growing up of, 
you know, it's not good to show anger. And, you know, as children, often children are taught that, you know, not to show anger, not to show pain, not to show these emotions that are actually, like you say, you use anger to fuel you. And it's nice, you know, for people to also, you know, who are going through a hard time at the moment to maybe try and find a bit of that anger inside them, you know, and actually realize like, am I being, you know, because a lot of the time it's p- people go towards the, the the depressed route, right? So it's nice for them to sort of say, well, mm. okay, that hasn't been working for me. Let me like try and access that anger button and and let's see if that works for me, you know, and, and try and see if that can fuel me forward. It's nice to hear you verbalize that. Yeah, you know, over the, it's this year, 17 years since my accident. And I, 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 over the last 17 years, when I first had the accident, I remember it, it happened in November the 21st. Mm. And I always sort of first thought I'd, I'd be home by Christmas and be, be walking by Christmas. Um, that obviously didn't happen. Um, it took a long time. I'd say a long time. It took at least six, seven months before I was standing and, and, and able to do anything on a walking frame. Um, when we decided to get married, I always said to my wife, I, I never want to get married until I can walk down the aisle. I, 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 and not that I ever wanted to. I always told my friends jokingly, I'd never walk down the aisle and I'd never get married. Well, guess I'm a magician <laughs> because I could predict the future that I wasn't going to walk down the aisle. So when, when, I, um, <laughs> when we decided to get married... When we decided to get married, I always said to Taryn, I don't want her to think that I'm marrying her just to have a permanent nurse around. So I didn't want to get married until I could walk down the aisle. Well, she, she, I I always tell her that she wanted to get married quickly because she was convinced I was going to die and she wanted to make sure she was getting the life insurance. But um, (laughs) yeah, I... (laughs) Uh, you know, we, we, we got married um, in fe- – my accident was in November and we got married in February. So it, it was a short time after the accident that we, we actually got married. Mm. Um, and o- over the last sort of 17 years, when I first had the accident, I used to go to physio uh, five days a week. And I'd go to probably two or three different physios a day. So in the morning, I'd go and see a physiotherapist for my hands. And then in the afternoon or later that day, I would go and see another physiotherapist to Mm -hmm. do some other form of exercise. And then I'd come home, have lunch. And then in the afternoon, um, I would go to gym and try and do whatever I could in the gym. Um, You know, I was in a wheelchair still and... The gym were very unhappy that I was arriving in a wheelchair wearing a neck brace and that I was trying to jump on and off machines and play with weights and I was, you know, my hands didn't work properly so I'd bandage weights into my hands and drop them on my head and all sorts of things oh, and wow. they, they were not that happy about it and, and, and made me sign liabilities that if I basically killed myself on the gym floor <laughs> that I, I, I wouldn't hold them liable for no. it. And I fell off machines and, and literally dropped weights on my chest and all sorts of stupid things over the years. And But I always sort of, I, I look back over the last 17 years and, you know, as sort of time went on, you do less and less because life takes over and work takes over mm. and sometimes you just can't get to gym because you're too busy working or whatever the case is. And I always mm. sit back and look at the, the last 17 years and think, 
would I be much further along if I put in more effort? Um, you know, up until when we started training for the East Coast Walk, which was in 2018, I couldn't walk more than 500 meters with the walking frame. And and as I say, my right leg used to drag very, very badly. And that to me was sort of something that, not, not that I was never going to get over, but I mean, we tried all sorts of things and it just never, ever improved. Mm. And then the more walking we put in, the walking just became easier. Mm. And the more we were out there trying and pushing and, and, and making effort, suddenly the leg and the foot started lifting a little bit. And we were, we were, Mary and I were very shocked when it started lifting. We couldn't work out how I changed my style of walking or how I'd managed to get the foot to lift, but it, it mm. lifted a little bit and then it used to fatigue. And now I, I, I walk now, I come and walk three times a week. And at the moment I'm doing what I call a time trial where I'm only walking for an hour and I'm trying each time to walk further and further Mm. Um, during that hour um, because I believe firmly that not only will I go back and do the East Coast a second time in under five hours, I've mm. set a goal to do it in under three hours next time, not five. I'll do it in under three. So that's when mm. all this COVID nonsense stops and, and the East Coast walk becomes a, a thing that I can do again one year. Mm. I'm determined to go out there and do it in, in under three hours. And I look at the way my, my walking has improved and I look at how much time I spend in the gym now. And I, I, jokes aside, I mean, I, I'm getting stronger every day. I see improvements in the gym. Mm. I see improvements with my walking. I'm, I'm just getting stronger and stronger. And I wonder if I'd put in, I put in a lot of effort initially and I put in a lot of effort over the years. But mm -hmm. there were times I, I, I had, breaks and I and life got the better of me and I didn't put in as much effort and I sit back and think to myself well what if I'd put in more effort what if I could have been what I call a science experiment so what if the day I broke my neck I could have had the world's best physios around me and the world's best scientists and the world's best mm. everything and all they'd done is concentrate on my health and my recovery and what if that's all I'd done so I didn't have to worry about work. Mm. I didn't have to mm. worry about money. I didn't have to worry about life. All I did was physio. Mm. Where, where would I where would I be? And and that's one of the the sort of messages for me that comes out of this whole thing is, what if you hadn't made the effort? What if you hadn't tried? So you you, you break your neck and you decide to yourself, well, this is me. This is my my Fate. sort of deal in life now. Mm. And this is my fate, and I'm not going to make an effort. And interestingly, when when we were in physio, um, in in rehab, I remember this young guy came into rehab in a wheelchair once um, as a day, what they call a day patient. So he would come back and and just be there for a few hours for the day, and um, then go away and go back home. Mm -hmm. And he came in a wheelchair, and um, young guy in his 20s I'd say and um, I remember looking at him and you know when I had my accident I was slightly older 
So I'd lived some some form of life. It didn't happen to me in my in my twenties. Although I like to think I still look thirty. I know I, I probably look slightly older, and I, I always joke with my physiotherapist that I've owned this body for thirty years, so I know exactly what's going on with it. <laughs> Obviously, owned it for slight, slight, slightly longer than that. Yeah. But yeah, you know, this, this, this young this young guy in his twenties came into the the gym, and he was pushed in a wheelchair by his dad, and. If you're in a wheelchair and you can push yourself, having somebody push you is 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 quite frustrating. You want to push mm. yourself. You don't want mm. somebody to push you. So if you can push you, you're not, you know, when people offer to help, I'm always very grateful in that, but you do want mm. to do things yourself. And I remember seeing his dad pushed him in and then he he climbed out of the wheelchair and stood up on the parallel bars. And I remember thinking, wow, okay, the dude can stand. Um, why was he being pushed in the wheelchair? And and the first thing, as a as a either a paraplegic or a quadriplegic, if you see someone else in a wheelchair, the first thing I look at is is their hands. So if their hands are all functional, and then you know they're a, they're a paraplegic, so they they have a lot of hand functionality. They can do stuff. Their hands are all good. So I remember looking at his hands and thinking, well, he's definitely not a, a quad because his hands, there's no muscle wastage. His hands look good. He, he looks all fine and whatever. And he stood up on the parallel bars. And then he proceeded to walk around on crutches. And I thought, wow, hey, cool. The dude's on crutches. Okay. Maybe he can't walk long distances. And that's why he came in in a wheelchair. And then... I noticed a little bit later on, he stopped to have something to eat and his dad was feeding him. And I thought, that's a bit weird. Why is his dad feeding him? His hands work. Mm, yeah. Why, why is he letting his dad feed him? And I remember quietly saying to one of the physios, what's the story with that dude? Because he, he looks like he can walk with crutches pretty well. He looks like he can stand. When I stand, I push up. Or for, or for either a walking frame or parallel bars. I can't stand on my own using my leg power. He looked like he could stand without using his arms. Mm. So I was a bit confused as to why he was being fed. Mm. And I, I, I sort of quietly asked and she said, oh, he can actually walk with crutches. He chooses not to. Um, he sits at home and watches TV basically all day. And comes in for the odd physio because he's forced to come in. But he can actually walk with crutches. He's not confined to a wheelchair. Um, but he is paralyzed in, in a way that he probably couldn't walk 3Ks on crutches. So he probably does need the wheelchair on, on a part-time yes. basis. Yes. But he certainly, he certainly didn't need to be fed. And he certainly didn't need to be cared for in the way he was being cared for. He made that choice. Mm -hmm. And to me, that kind of made me angry because he was given an opportunity and he just wasted it. Um, I mean, there, mm -hmm. there, there's so many people out there that if I didn't, if I didn't make an effort to try and better my situation, there's so many people out there who would kill absolutely kill to be in my position and have the opportunity to stand on a walking frame mm. and have the opportunity to get into a car and drive 
Mm. Who am I to waste that opportunity and to waste that privilege? Walking, standing, that's a privilege. That's not a, a you might think it's a basic human right. It's, it's, it's not something you can take for granted if it gets taken away from you. And mm. if it gets taken away from you and you've got the opportunity to, to potentially stand again and to potentially walk again, seriously, are you going to waste that opportunity? I saw a guy at the gym once complaining, um, running on the treadmill, complaining mm. on how difficult it was. Mm. And as I walked past him, I said to him, dude, run because you can. Some of us would love the opportunity and just kept walking. Because really, seriously, run because you can. Some of us would kill to be able to run. Mm. Just to be able to do that again, to be able wow. to get out and, and, and run and, you know, um, you, you don't waste your opportunities that you're given. Don't, I'll never waste my opportunity to go to the gym. Are there days that I, I curse and I get to the gym and I literally drag my sorry ass yeah. around that gym and every single exercise feels like somebody's put mm. triple the weight on and I just can't wait to get through it and get home. And But I never want to waste that opportunity of being able to go to the gym or being able to go to physio, or being able to do something, you know, um, it, it, it's just, you don't have the right to waste that opportunity, you really don't, um, mm. it's just, it's just, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's sort of, yeah. Well, it's been, uh, Jim, I mean, that I think that this is also, you know, what everyone's hearing now through this is, you know, you, you, you've you known, but you knew it before anyway. You know, you were training before anyway, five days a week, you said. You know, exercise yes. and physic, physical health. Um, I think most people know this nowadays, right? Because there's just so much always said about it. But, you know, it's physical health, exercise, it's all that is so much a part of uh, supporting this positive mindset, you know, which um, you, you've known innately, you know, you, 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 you tapped into that before the accident anyway. It wasn't that after the accident you started to train for the first time, you know, you've always known that that's important. Yeah, 100%. And I, I've, I've always been – I, I was never a big gym person, um, uh, sort of all my life. Um, I was quite a skinny, quite a skinny kid um, through my school years, and um, never seemed to be able to put on weight and whatever the case is. And wasn't really that active. I, I played a bit of sport. I did a mm. little bit of running. Um, I, I've always liked soccer, so I played a bit of soccer. But I smoked when I was younger, you know, and um, I drank when I was younger. So I wasn't an incredibly fit person or whatever the case is. Mm. And then um, I, I got cancer in uh, um, about 1990, 1991. Um, I got lymphatic cancer, um, either Hodgkin's or non-Hodgkin's, whichever is the better one of the two. I got mm. the better one of the two. And I, I had cancer for a number of years, and um, it, it wasn't a, a, a difficult uh, period at all during my life. I had cancer. They discovered it. It was there. We Life went on. We, we got it sorted out, and I was fortunate enough to, to be clear of it within a, a few years. Um, and then I, I sort of 
started going to gym when that when they first opened the gym up in in Kloof, it was the first sort of time that we had a big gym in our area I'd, I'd been to gym a few times in the past but always felt a bit awkward being the skinny little dude that I was going to gym and seeing all these serious guys out there pushing mm, weights mm, and mm. you know I was never one of those guys and and after the cancer, I was, I was sort of very skinny and yeah, I just uh, decided to join the gym one day when they opened the local gym and just sort of, you know, got in there and realized there were also other people in there that were either skinny or fat or and out of shape. And, you know, the main thing wasn't what you looked like. The main thing was to actually pitch up on the day and to, mm. to, to make an effort. And I, I firmly believe that when I see people in the gym nowadays, that it's not all about what you look like. It's about the fact that you're actually there in the gym. So whether you weigh 200 kgs or whether you're the most super fit looking person on the planet, it doesn't make a difference. The fact that you're actually in the gym and you're trying your best and you put in as much effort as you can, it's not all about how much weight you're pushing or whatever. It's it's just about the fact you're there and you, you're doing the best that you can. Mm. Um, you're putting in your best effort. And oh, I, I just, I, I started to love the gym and I, I started to see results in the gym and it became a sort of a, a, a challenge for me to to be better, mm. to be stronger, to be faster. And, and certainly more so when the accident happened. When the accident happened, I just couldn't wait to get, all I wanted to do was get back in the gym. Um, that was my yeah. exercise was something that had made me stronger and given me some discipline. And the gym was a, a, a big, big foundation for me in my recovery. Um, mm. And um, I, I had a, a number of years, a, a long time off the gym. I only recently, I'd say in the last sort of year and a half have been back in the gym um, mm. on a full-time sort of basis and I, I, I realized how much I missed it and you know when I w when I started training to do the walk I, I started putting in that e effort to do that and and we did a lot of walking I was walking yeah. five days a week and then w once we completed the walk I, I wanted to change things up a bit so I decided yeah. well I still need to walk because if I don't walk literally like when when the first lockdown came I was unable to get out and walk properly um, at physio because trying to walk at my house with five insane dogs and dogs trying to knock you over every five minutes and be mm. part of the walk and part of the exercise is just it, it's a no-no yeah. there's no discipline I don't know what happened to discipline in in my family when it came to animals there's absolutely no discipline in, in our family yeah. when it comes to animals our dogs <laughs> run riot my wife laughs and says I'm the I'm the next the the dogs look at me not as the boss but as another husky um because we've got huskies so I'm just another husky in the pack they can laugh at and not listen yeah. to um so yeah so so trying to sort of walk at home during lockdown was a, a big issue and I mm. regressed terribly um when when I couldn't walk and couldn't get to the gym um mm. so the moment lockdown stopped and the gyms opened and I could get back to physio and back to the gym it's important for me it's also important the gym for me is is a is a mental escape um it's an escape from work it's an escape from life um and it's just somewhere that I go where I don't tend to answer my phone um even mm. if it's customers phoning I tend to ignore my phone most of the time I just put on some music and I just have a a, a two-hour session yeah. where 
I really just don't care about life or about anything or about whatever problems are going on. A lot of times it helps me work through issues I'm having with work, trying to solve something or issues I'm having with whatever. The gym helps me sort mm. it out. Um, yeah. You know, challenging so, myself to walk further, yeah. faster every time helps me to sort it out. So, yeah. yeah. So, Mark, just so, so right now, because you've gone through all these you know, different challenges that you've gone through and, and the phases. But so right now where you're at, because now I have all this perspective. So you so you can walk with a walker. Um, yep. And so you well, you were explaining your hands in the beginning. Your your hands can move. You so you can yes, do correct. things. So just just in, in very yeah. natural form, just tell me exactly physically what you can do now. I just want to, you know, in five years' time or two years' time when I interview interview you again, we can record, you know, recall this this next sentence. But just physically, what what are you doing right now physically? So physically I can I can walk with a walking frame, but I cannot stand unaided. So I okay. could if I'm sitting on a couch and I don't have the walking frame in front of me, I cannot physically stand up. Okay. Uh, I don't I need to strengthen my arms in order to push my upper body into an upright position. Um, I have uh, what a lot of quads and paras suffer from is a very weak middle section, so a very weak core. In my mm. case, the muscles on my right side, my stomach tends to bulge out quite badly on the right where the, the core muscles aren't very strong on the right-hand side. So my, my core is not great. Um, I'm at the moment trying to train at gym to, to do more sort of core work in order to strengthen my core and, and strengthen mm. my balance. Um, my hands work to the point where I'm left-handed, so I can write. Um, my writing's not fantastic, but I can write with my left hand. Um, I can make myself a cup of coffee. I, I struggle with some of the, the, the very sort of um, finer movements. So when putting a cap back on a bottle, um, I, I tend, it tends to be a little bit of a, a, a mission for me. I, I drop the cap probably three or four times sometimes. Other times I can do it easily but um the 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 finer movements are a little bit difficult for me um my right hand is is at a point where i i probably wouldn't safely pick up a coffee cup with my right hand um because i'd probably drop it um Mm. the grip on my right hand is is not fantastic i can't get my right hand into a a proper full-blown fist with all my fingers closing Um, but I'm working on that and I've seen improvements in that area. Um, yeah, you know, um, I still can't feel hot and cold with my left. I can get my left into a, into a fist as you can sort Mm. of see there. I can Mm. then move my hand like that and I can open my fingers, but my Mm. thumb still, my, my, my thumb does that. And Mm. I, I also can do. A party trick like that where I can put my thumb on top of my my <laughs> fist, which not everybody can yeah. do. Um, s- strangely enough, on the other hand, um, sorry, I'm always fidgety. I don't sit still. On the other hand, yeah. my fingers work, but that finger won't go down. So I cannot yeah. bend that finger at the joint properly. And the thumb is also a little bit... Um, collapse. There's still, as you can see yeah. on the back of my hands, quite a bit of muscle wastage. My wrists tend to move. 
So I do have that wrist movement. I've got obviously shoulder, elbow movements. I still have wastage on the on the back of this uh, shoulder, and I still have wastage that I lost in 2017 on my right elbow that never came back. Okay. Um, so just in, in 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 my original injury was C4, C5, C6. So basically, they welded C4 to C5 with some uh, using uh, some mesh and some wire mesh and some hip bone, um, mm. which I always joke around. They stole my hip bone without paying for it, um, <laughs> and then um, they they also repaired some damage to T1. Um, when I had the second op, they discovered that the discs had badly degenerated between four and five. So they then put in a second cage and they welded uh, vertebrae four to five. So now four, five, and six are all welded together. At the same time, he discovered that uh, vertebra mm. one, two, and three had totally calcified on their own. So they'd all welded themselves together. Um, they think from potentially some, maybe some blood or some something that was in the injury um, that had obviously calcified over the years. So, so my one, two, and three vertebra are totally welded together. I have a gap between three and four, and then four, five, and six are totally welded together. So the fact that I can still turn my head um, and, and move my neck mm. is, is quite impressive because of the amount of welding that's gone on in, in my neck. Um, you know, um, and it mm. potentially, I, I could further down the, the, the years have a problem between three and four, and they may potentially have to weld the whole lot together. Um, you just don't know with a neck injury mm. what's going to happen. So yeah. things, and so, things and could change, top, you know. <clears throat> when you talk about these, the C, yes, I mean, I, 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 I did do biology, but you can. You forget all these, uh, all these. Yeah, details, I, right? you but know, ba ba basically, ba basically, we're the top. So we, we your mm. uh, one is obviously at the, the the very base of your your skull, and mm. goes down from there. Um, five and six are sort of around where your your the bottom of your neck where it joins onto your shoulders, kind okay. of thing. I um, mean, mm. in that type of region, um, is is where the the main damages i've got quite a few lumps at the back there where you know there's obviously calcia calcified bone and stuff going on there um and my neck creaks a lot and you know yeah it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's held on so yeah it is what it is <laughs> well well we're gonna have to interview you in a in a in a couple of years time and hear what you know when i ask that same question what you could what different you're gonna say yeah, everybody keeps asking me, what's the next challenge? What's the next mm. challenge? But um, I'm not sure at this stage, you know, I've, I've, I've sort of, the Midmar Mile has been something I've, I've contemplated and I can't swim very well. Um, so the Midmar Mile has been something that I've sort of toyed around in my mind a bit um, about potentially doing. But at the moment, if I, if just, I decide to, to do that, it means I'm going to have to. The, the, just for people listening, the Midmar Mile, because uh, not everyone's from South Africa who listens to the show, the Midmar Mile oh, okay. is just, um, it's, it's, well, you can explain what it is, but just so people understand what you're well, saying. Well, it's basically. And a also, also for the people listening, um, we do have this on YouTube as well, guys. So um, if you're wanting to see the examples of what Mark was saying with his hands, then obviously just go to the YouTube channel because this is recorded. So. Um, just so you guys know, go there and obviously you can see the visuals as well. But yeah, Mark, what's the Midmar Mile? 
Uh, the minimal mile is basically a, a mile swim. So, um, and, and as a lot of people will know, swimming fitness is totally different. So you can be the biggest boy in the gym and the most muscly guy around, but if you're not doing sort of cardio fitness and stuff like that, then, you know, your walk between the gym and the car becomes an effort. So it's all mm. a, a different type of fitness and, and swimming is a totally different type of fitness. I mean, you use all sorts of little muscles that you'd never, ever used before. Mm. So the, the, the mid-mile mile being a mile swimmer is, is something that I've contemplated. But at this stage, it would mean I'd have to sort of change my whole training routine and potentially stop as much walking as I'm doing and as much gym as I'm doing in order to change things up a bit to do the swim. Yeah. And I'm just not there yet. I'm quite happy in my, my sort of walking and my, my gym where I don't really want to change up to do this, the, the, the swimming and the amount of effort that it would put into yeah. to do the swim. But certainly, certainly not something that I, I haven't sort of thought about and probably something I will do somewhere down the line I'm, mm. i'd just like to to get uh, to get a, a few other things you know i'm, I'm making improvements in, in other areas and as i said mm. i'd like to do the east coast 5k in under three hours when that's you know so i'm, I'm doing a lot of walking yeah. towards that yeah. and um, spending a lot of time in the gym if you're in a wheelchair the more sort of time you spend getting stronger arms stronger triceps stronger biceps stuff like that the more your life improves the more mobility you get um, I still have to sort of pick my body up um, from a wheelchair to to the couch I don't do it using a lot of leg so it's mm. a lot of upper body so the more upper body strength I have the stronger I am upper body wise the easier my life becomes um, and the easier things like wheelchair transfers come and the, the easier standing up becomes. Um, so yeah, you know, at, yeah. at this stage I'm, I'm fairly happy with, with how things are going and how much training I put in. I do six days a week. I take one day off. Um, you know, after this, I'll, I'll go back to the office quickly, make sure that the, the place hasn't burned down and that there's <laughs> nothing urgent I need to do. And then I'll, I'll yeah. go and do a two, two sort of two, two and a half hour gym session this afternoon. Mm. Um, and just know, a, so, just a quick yeah. one with the, this is now we're going to close off soon. Um, I, I wanted to ask you earlier, just in terms of the, you know, the, that sense of shame or embarrassment, has that ever, has that ever got in your way? I know you say you don't like to be on the floor. You don't like, you know, your, your wife to, to turn the tap, but I mean, in, in a more public way, you talk about people do respond differently to you when they see you being a person on a wheelchair, but have you ever been affected by shame or embarrassment of you know your arms or your hands not working properly or because you know you, you do the party trick and you say it as a joke with it behind your you know you, you put it behind your I can't do it um but you know do you <laughs> yeah but um you know no, no, do, have you no, ever I, been affected by shame or embarrassment in a in a way that's upset you yeah, 100%. People always look at you totally differently. Um, look, I've always, you know, um, I've always had funny hair. So I've always been a person that's had really weird hair. Um, my wife always jokes when she first met me, it looked like I was trying to grow some type of mushroom on my head. Um, and that's evolved into <laughs> in, in, into my, my customary mohawk, which is, mohawk, is yeah. something that, you know, I, you know, I've always got a mohawk and, 
and um, sometimes it's pink. And, um, you know, when I did the, the walk, it was pink um, in, sort of because of the whole cancer thing. But so I'm mm. used to people staring at me a, a little bit strangely. Um, but you, you, know, you, you do feel a bit, a bit awkward and a bit weird. And especially if you see me in the gym, a lot of the machines that I use in the gym, I can't grip properly with, with my hands. So when I do, for example, some type of pull down, I can't pull down the machine by holding onto it with my hands because mm -hmm. I don't have the hand strength that when I'm trying to pull down the weights that I can, that my hands actually hold onto the, 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 the sort of machine pulling it down. So for mm -hmm. example, when I grip the machine, I, I, I hook the, the bar under my wrist as it were, and I mm -hmm. pull it down using my wrists and not using my hands. So, mm -hmm. um, and I, I've just adapted uh, to, to use certain machines in certain ways. Mm. And I jump on and off machines sort of off the walking frame. And it's, it's quite awkward for me to get on and off certain machines. Um, I look a little bit like an orangutan in a, in a circus climbing on and mm. off, you know, some of the stuff. And I get very, very strange looks in the gym. Um, and I've got quite a bit of muscle wastage in the lower parts of my arms, um, you know, and I, I know people sort of look at you a bit weirdly in the gym and sort of because of that, they, they, they're looking mm. at you because you are different. Um, and yeah, sometimes you feel a bit awkward and whatever the case is. But I think over the years, I've sort of, you know, I, I've toughened up. Um, I don't like being in the wheelchair at all. If I ever go out yeah. in the wheelchair, um, I don't like it at all. I, yeah. I feel quite trapped in the wheelchair. And it's quite strange because you're not actually, the wheelchair, you know, is not something that traps you. It's, it's something that gives you freedom. Um, it makes you mobile if you're a quadriplegic or a paraplegic. Mm. So it's not a device mm. that actually traps you. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I do feel, you know, if I have back spasms where I can't get out the wheelchair for three weeks or two weeks, mm. that frustrates me a lot. And I kind of feel trapped in whatever the case is, um, not being able to, to stand up. Um, so, yeah, you, you do feel awkward and sometimes you do feel a bit embarrassed. A lot of people offer to help, especially getting in and out of the car. Um, and a lot of people are shocked when they see me getting in and out of the car because the type of car I drive, they don't expect me to get out of the car with a wheelchair. A lot of people come over, um, when I say wheelchair, I mean with a walking frame. A lot of people, I think, come over to tell me that I'm not allowed to park in the in the parking um, and suddenly realize that I am actually allowed because I am paralyzed in getting out of the walking frame. They don't expect to see um, you park in, in the parking. Uh, and a lot of people offer to help. And I always, you know, some people get very frustrated when being in a wheelchair, when people offer to help you. I don't mm. look at it that way. I think the people are just actually trying to be kind and trying to be nice. Mm. Um, and I'm always very respectful and very grateful whenever people offer me help. And 99% of the time, I always say, no, thank you. Thanks very much. But I really do appreciate you offering. And I honestly yeah. do feel that way. I do. Uh, I really do appreciate the, mm. the old lady that stops seeing me climb out the car and saying, can I help you at all? Or the car guard mm. that asked me if I can, you know, if um, he can help me do something, putting the walker in or taking the walker out. Mm. Um no, there's some other people, they sort of, they, they really just don't have a clue. I had an incident a while ago where I was actually, 
I, I, I was in the in the wheelchair a while ago and going somewhere and I was wheeling back to the car um, and I, I can't get the wheelchair in and out of the car myself, especially the current car that I drive. The wheelchair doesn't fit, but the car I had at the time, the wheelchair would fit in the boots. I, I, I just, mm. when I got to the car, I jump in the car and then shout to the car guard and ask him just to throw the wheelchair in the boot. Yeah. Because um, it's very <laughs> rare it that in. I take take the wheelchair out. <laughs> but... On on the way down to the car, I was busy pushing the wheelchair and the car guard came behind me and decided he was going to help me push. So he proceeded to suddenly help me push at high speed and then just let go of me on this like quite steep downhill. So there I was flying down the hill, totally out of control in the wheelchair and basically crashed into the car when I got to the bottom because I couldn't stop because he just didn't have a clue. He just pushed me and then let go of me. And, you know, sort of, you know, a lot of people just don't have a clue. Um, But as I say, I I really honestly do appreciate people offering and asking. Mm. They're just Mm. trying to be kind. Um, They're just trying to be helpful and Mm. you can't get angry with with them for trying to help and and that you you really, even if you want to do it yourself, you just have to politely, Mm. you know, accept the fact they are just trying to be nice to you. Yeah. But so in in, in closing on that and and now closing off, I mean, how, what advice and, and how do you actually then in your mind, like what is the little conversation that you have with yourself in your head when you are feeling that shame or, or that embarrassment? Like how do you reprogram yourself to to get right again or to get past that moment? Just stop caring about what everyone else thinks. You've been laughed but at do you say that in your head for the past. Yeah, yeah but at that moment where you're feeling it. where you're feeling shame, you say that in your head. You say, Mark, just yeah. stop it. Don't even yes. don't worry about what those people think. Yeah, just yeah. What what, you, what can you do about it? Just stop yeah. worrying about it. People have been laughing at your hair for a long, long time, long before you were paralyzed. Now you're just giving them something else to think about. Seriously. <laughs> just get on with it. Stop stop stressing about it. There's you know, I, I yeah. go to the gym. My my main competitor in the gym and my main competitor in any challenges is not the person opposite me. It's me. I don't really need to beat you or beat that person pushing more weight than me. I just need to beat me. I need to be better than me every single time I go into that gym or I start walking. I need to be stronger, faster. I need to be better than the last time. And I always need to be better. And hmm. I've just got myself to beat it's not about beating anyone else or that. I, I certainly look at people in the gym pushing weights and I think, hmm, I can push a bit more than that. And I'm broken, mm-hmm. but not beaten as it were. Um, so I, a part of me does want to beat other people and be better than other people and stronger than a normal person who doesn't have an injury. But it's not the be all and end all. The be all and end all is to beat myself. I've just got to mm-hmm. be better every time. There's just yeah. no there's no choice it is what it is that's Mm. it cool mark all right well nice to talk to you jen nice to finally have a conversation that we didn't have to have all the interruptions (laughs) and all the problems so nice that we finally got through it well and and now i know why because you just don't give up so you made goddamn sure that this conversation was still going to (laughs) happen Cool. Yeah, really yeah. cool to chat. And um, yeah, we'll we'll keep in touch. Um, 
just send me send me lots of pictures so we can use those in our in our footage and our our reels and stuff that we create from this. And uh, yeah, I look forward to you know just reconnecting later on and seeing where you know where where you go. But I think that you know what's also cool is you don't have yeah it, you don't have to swim the mid mile you know like you you've already beaten you know yourself you've already beaten you've already won you know and um i think just your your you can always balanced. be better <laughs> cool well let's end on that you can always be better and i think that that's a good drive for human beings right it's just that little push because it's good it keeps us keeps us going it keeps us alive keeps us challenged Hundred percent. As yeah. as Oliver says, don't challenge, don't limit your challenges. Challenge your limits. You, you can always be better. So, guys, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. Share the show with all your family and friends. As I always say, sharing is caring. Go to the website inspirationalinterviews.com and also join the club, please. There you'll have access to really super cool features and also, yeah, great guest content and you will be a part of our live interviews. Find us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. Thanks for listening, guys, and uh, see you on the flip side. It's for